The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hi, this is um, not Mary Woods. This is again Mark Green. Um, I'm the medical director at Westbridge. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. And today I've got Chris Willard. Is it Chris or Christopher? Uh, Chris is fine. Okay. So um, we've got Chris Willard here, and we're going to be talking about Chris's book called Child's Mind, Mindfulness Practices to Help Our Children Be More Focused, Calm, and Relaxed. So Chris um, has a PhD in clinical psych from the Massachusetts School of Professional Psychology here in Boston. And his research focuses on the psychological practices of meditation and mindfulness practices. Um, Chris's experiences include teaching mindfulness exercises to young kids, teenagers, recently paroled prisoners, and therapists. Um, Chris is also a therapist at Tufts University, uh, where he works with um, college students. College um, students and graduate students. Um, I have a private practice in Wellesley, Massachusetts, and Cambridge, Massachusetts, and do some teaching and just joined the board of directors at the Institute for Meditation and Psychotherapy in Boston. Oh, did you? How long have you been? So we've had previous shows here with Chris Germer and Jean Fain, who are both affiliated, um, especially Chris, with that institute. Um, how long have you been involved with them? Uh, I've been working with them for the last couple of years and know a lot of them and uh, joined their faculty last year in their year-long certificate course. Um, and then this year was just sort of stunned and honored to be asked to be on their board of directors. So I've been doing that since September, um, kind of, uh, yes, during the direction of uh, the future of mindfulness and psychotherapy. So it's, it's very exciting. Yeah, it's an exciting group. We've had some great guests from them. So, Chris, your book, um, I went through it over the last couple of days, and it seems great. So I'm going to start off just asking you a bit about what is mindfulness um, and why is it important for us to hear about so mindfulness is really, um, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of definitions in, in popular culture and, and floating around in the, the medical and psychotherapy world. And I, I think the best way to kind of simply define it is really as a kind of moment-to-moment awareness with acceptance and with non-judgment. Um, and I think the, the, the emphasis in the West is on some of that acceptance and non-judgment because we can really get into judgment here of our own thoughts and start beating ourselves up. So I think that's a critical piece of it. But it's really just being in the present moment, being in the here and now, and being aware of what's happening. So here in the West, we get involved in acceptance and non-judgment. And outside of the West, they get involved with different aspects. I think it's just. I think we try to emphasize it more in the West. I think it's actually more implicit in Eastern traditions that acceptance and uh, and non-judgment 
are a part of mindfulness. The the Dalai Lama is often kind of quoted as describing when he came to the West, he was amazed at how little self-acceptance there was um, in the West, that people had sort of this sort of self-hatred and lacked this self-compassion. It just wasn't a part of the culture when he was teaching in Tibet, teaching in India, and teaching in, in parts of the, the Asian world and the Asian Buddhist tradition. So we try to put a little more emphasis on that here in the West, um, where we do struggle with self-acceptance. We certainly do. I mean, it's a huge part of our psychotherapy world. Um, and when you say about um, non-judgment, you're talking about non-judgment from a being compassionate point of view and non-judgment of the thoughts that are careening through your head? Exactly. I mean, I, I think, you know, judging our thoughts is, is a dangerous territory. It'd be like judging our heartbeat or judging our, our breathing or judging, you know, some other bodily process. Our mind really creates thoughts and we can't always control them very well. In fact, if we try to control them, we often end up in even worse shape than when we started. So what I often will explain to people when they start is just accepting the mind's thoughts as, you know, the, the mind will secrete thoughts just as the, the pancreas secretes insulin. We can't really control that consciously. We can try to steer that, but we, we can't control it. So just learning to accept these thoughts happen. Now, whether we choose to believe them, whether we choose to act on them, those are, are really different stories, and that's where um, we try to intervene as therapists in, in getting people to not necessarily believe their thoughts about sort of, you know, negative thoughts about themselves or about the world or, you know, preventing people from sort of going from thought into action. And that's, you know, certainly true in, you know, we, we see that a lot in addiction and compulsive behaviors, you know, kind of trying to create a space between the thought and the action is, uh, is where we want to make our intervention. We can't necessarily control the thought, but we can control what we do with it, how we respond to it and how much we believe it. And the feeling of shame and judgment that people have towards some thought, um, I guess, you see that so much in, say, an obsession, an obsession, you know, that I'm going to hurt my mother. And it feels very opposed to your being and your values. And so you feel a, a reaction to it. And, um, and you're saying, look, these are just secreted thoughts. These come and go. Don't have such a big reaction to it. Uh, be accepting that um, of sudden thoughts, whether you do something about it or not, is a matter of choice and self-discipline and um, going by your values instead of your anxieties. Right, exactly. So it's really just kind of creating a space where we can do something with that thought, not have to believe it, not have to decide I'm a bad person because I have bad thoughts um, or I'm a person who's going to take a bad action because I have a certain kind of thought. And so trying to get away from that, even judging thoughts as, as bad or good, um, but as, you know, frightening perhaps or as, you know, shame-inducing, but then trying to step away from that. So, yeah. So I get why it's important for um, thoughts and anxiety. Um, and in previous shows, we've talked about um, self-compassion for diet and self-compassion in general with Chris Germer. Um why is it important for health generally? Because your book speaks about quite a few different aspects of health than just anxiety um, or, you know, specific anxiety problems, right? Well, anxiety and stress respond really positively to, to mindfulness practices and other kind of relaxation practices, and, and that research has been going back to 
the, so that formal research has gone back to Herbert Benson and his work on the relaxation response, and then um, there's been a lot of work, of course, with John Kabat-Zinn. And, Say about what the relaxation response is. Oh, uh, Herbert Benson sort of took um, basically kind of studying uh, transcendental meditation and some of its effects and, and sort of looking at that in the laboratory, what was really happening in the body, and the ways that that really... That, that being able to calm the body really kind of created a state where the body was able to heal itself um, and, and kind of the opposite of the fight-or-flight response, the opposite of the stress response, and having a kind of healing response where we can allow our bodies and our minds to relax and start to heal. Right, and, and suggesting that there's a natural component to that, whether it's the parasympathetic or something, um, but that we talked a lot about the stress response and fight-or-flight response, but he was saying, hold on there's another relaxation response that we can really augment and tap into. Right, exactly. And that was some really exciting research because it was also a really different way of, of looking at medicine rather than from a kind of problem perspective, but from a, you know, sort of like what are some of our, you know, natural healing abilities, not just kind of looking at a problem, but kind of increasing a solution mm-hmm. um, and kind of proto-positive ther- positive psychology in some ways and, and positive medicine. So where were you? I took you off of it. <laughs> where was I? Well, talking about... Um, I Why it was good health for health, health, yeah. So there's been a lot of research um, in John Kabat-Zinn and his work with the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Clinic at, um, at UMass Medical Center out in Worcester. Did a lot of work looking at immune system functioning um, and, and how that relates to stress um, and just, you know, a host of other issues, uh, heart disease. Heart disease, cancer patients, I think. Right, and, and sort of recovery healing times from yeah. different um, yeah, different illnesses and that sort of thing. So, yeah. But what's interesting about your book um, is that it's talking about kids. Right. And um, I thought that was pretty cool because I've read a lot about youth in adults. To my mind, kids already have the capacity. So when I think back to my childhood, I think about times staring out the back of the window with the lights and the and the lampposts flashing by or the trees moving and these lovely moments which I have to go out of my way to get these days. Um, but it's almost like recapturing moments of um, peacefulness and um, from my childhood. It feels like kids have a natural innate ability to get into these states perhaps more than we have when we're adults. You... I think that's absolutely right. And, and I think, you know, a, a lot of what mindfulness is and what I was sort of saying as a definition of mindful awareness is kind of the, the natural childhood state of wonder. It's really seeing things for the first time before we kind of put any judgment on things, before we, you know, decide that they're good or bad. We're just inherently curious about what our experience is, about what's going on in the world around us. And, and that's a lot of you know, how I think of childhood or childhood at its best and how I think of kind of the ideal of mindfulness. And I think, unfortunately, you know, some of the kind of busyness of our culture is trickling down to kids and that's getting pushed out of childhood. And I think that's really a problem. Um, And that's part of why I I wrote this book is trying to figure out a way to restore some of the natural wonder to childhood and restore some of that natural curiosity and, and acceptance. Yeah, it's kind of depressing I have to write a book on this, right? <laughs> yeah. you know, because yeah. it's like, okay, um, kids do this, and then we schedule the, the hell out of them, you know, and have, um, you know, hockey practice and, you know, some religious thing, and then they've got to do their clarinet, 
and um, then we have to build in some techniques to help them be kids again. Right, or exactly. Or have a beginner's mind or an open mind. Right, right. And it's, it's, it, is, it is sad that that's what's happening in our culture. And what I think is, you know, potentially exciting about practicing with kids is that it, it not only helps kids get back in touch with us, but it helps us as adults. I mean, I know one of the things I love about working with kids, even before I was doing mindfulness with kids, is just getting to see the world with fresh eyes again. And so, you know, I found it really exciting to kind of help people get back in touch with themselves and get back in touch with, uh, you know, with, with that kind of state of childlike wonder, you know, in, in, in their kids as well. Um, mm-hmm. so. Right. It must be nice as a therapist to enter into those states when you're naturally looking around everything and feeling it with those beginner's eyes. Right. Right. All right. Let's come have a brief break and we'll come back after, after that. Okay. Great. Thank you. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind, embrace positively, release the tension, step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. Mark Green um, with Chris Willard. Um, Chris, on the back of your book here, there's a picture of you with some great green walls. Where's that? <laughs> That's in India. That's in, oh, uh, Jaipur, I think, the he's, Peacock Throne. Okay, you've done, 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 done some good traveling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I knew it wasn't around here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, 
Okay, we talked a little bit about uh, meditation in health, a um, little bit. Um, and, yeah, Herb Benton's work, John Kabat-Zinn, um, those are kind of the early early people. I mean, I guess there's a ton of new people doing interesting research in that, too. I just haven't... They still get a lot of the street cred. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the real early pioneers. Um, and it's, it's interesting, so when I started... I started this book, it grew out of my dissertation in graduate school, and I started researching it, I guess, five or six years ago, and there was sort of growing research, sort of, you know, there was a lot of relaxation response stuff, there was a lot of John Kabat-Zinn's work and MBSR work, Marshall Linehan's work with dialectical behavioral therapy, and there's a little bit more since then, and then in there... And then the two years that I was doing the research, the, the research that I was finding just like quadrupled, it seemed like every year, you know, I'd just do another lit review and there'd just be, you know, double again the number of re- uh, articles on mindfulness and psychotherapy and different kinds of interventions and, and people um, doing brain scans here in Boston at MGH and some really interesting work out in, in, in Southern California, um, Dan Siegel's work. Um, and a lot of people kind of looking at this in terms of education, in terms of concentration, in terms of mental health, in terms of all kinds of stuff. It's just been really Let exciting. me ask you a little bit about the indications for it, what particular problems and challenges you like using mindfulness techniques for with different age groups. So let's, you know, what about college kids? In college kids, what, do you, what kind of areas do you see? Then we'll see how early we can go, how young we can go. Yeah. Um, in college kids, what, what kind of problems are particularly helpful with this? Um, well, college kids, I mean, I, I think these practices can really benefit anyone at any time for a lot of different things. And I think the way I kind of think about it is what's, what's appealing to people. So what's appealing to college kids is dealing with stress, which is sort of the number one complaint of college students um, in, a, in a recent survey. And I work at Tufts University where the kids are pretty stressed out, I would have to say. And so they come in looking for some relief from stress, and they come in looking for some help in terms of concentration and focus because it can be really difficult to, you know, try to sit down and crank out studying for, for hours on end. And there's some really great research on um, helping with attention span and kind of flexibility of thought and creativity and some of these mindfulness meditation practices and concentration meditation practices. So that's a lot of what appeals to the college students um, who will come in kind of asking about this. Yeah, right. So um, let's take attention issues because you know, so many kids just really want to be, and adults, really want to be focused. Um, they have poor tolerance for any distraction, they think that they should be able to just sit down for six hours at a time and crank out something really boring and productive. <laughs> I think you know there's a little bit of distortion about what's normal. For right, that. absolutely. Um, and and for me personally, I feel like I'm a pretty master learner, and um, yeah, I can't do more than forty minutes at a time. I do forty minutes, five off. Forty minutes, five off. But it takes a while to. I was almost done with my medical training before I figured that out. <laughs> you know, but, so, but college kids will want to be really focused. So how can these techniques um, help? And are there specific techniques which help more than others? Well, I think, um, yeah, and I, and I think people do have unrealistic expectations about, you know, how much they should be able to concentrate, how much they think their peers are concentrating. I mean, it was just finals time a month ago at Tufts, and I was in the library walking around, and the library is packed, 
but the number of laptops with, you know, Facebook being up rather right. than, you know, something that people are actually studying being up on their screens is, you know, is, is much higher. So um, I think where... Where mindfulness can help is, in, is, is, is kind of building a muscle for concentration that helps us come back when we get distracted so that it can kind of increase our attention span, but it, we, can, we can see more easily when we're getting off track so that we can start focusing on a task. For example, say we're reading a book and we start having, you know, it reminds us of this, and then we're kind of, you know, next thing we know we're thinking about the test, and then it's next week, and then I'm failing the test, and I'm failing out of school, and my parents are disowning me, and okay, now I'm living homeless on the street and nobody loves me, and that's the end of my life. Right. What we can do with mindfulness is start to kind of shorten that story, is what I'll often say to people. So, like, you know, like, let's go, you know, rather than kind of going all the way to, you know, you're homeless and alone, let's go to, like, the test. And now let's cut it off, you know, from the test to, like, you know, how difficult studying is going to be. And now let's sort of just think about focusing on the moment and focusing on what's right in front of you. And I so think forget about, forget about you getting homeless or not passing your finals in three years. Let's just focus on the fact that you're having, that you want to be studying now for what, for, because you've decided that's what's important right now. Right. So keeping it closer to the moment. And you're having a hard time and it's difficult right now. Right. Okay. And then the other way that, and that's, that's sort of like the, the anxiety angle of it. And the other way it helps with, with kind of being able to concentrate is it just, you know, we start to just sort of, our, our thoughts will wander about anything and, you know, whether it's anxiety or not. And then it's just kind of like bringing it back, you know, our attention back to the page and we start to wander and we bring our attention back just like we do when we're focusing on our breath, for example, or meditating. Our mind goes off, we bring it back. Our mind goes off, we bring it back. And we sit down to write a book or we sit down to write a paper. Mind goes off, we bring it back. Mind goes off, we bring it back. And you reassure people that with that kind of practice, just like a muscle, you're going to be building up that conversation and the ability to bring your mind back to the page. It really does, and there really is um, great research, again, being done. Um, Sarah Lazar at MGH is doing some cool brain scan research, and out in, at, at UCLA they're doing some cool research on really looking at the way that meditation affects the brain and, and strengthens concentration areas of the brain and, and the way that the different kinds of meditation will, will affect um, different parts of the brain as well, because I, I think we're seeing more and more that the brain is more plastic, more changeable than, than we had thought for a long time. So when you are um, telling, talking to a college student about focusing on getting that work done, um, what we've said so far is, okay, look, let's just focus on the moment rather than getting catastrophic. Um, and let um, just be tolerant and accepting and maybe a bit self-compassionate about bringing your attention back. Don't beat yourself up in that moment saying, oh, my God, I've been straying. Um, say, I bring it back to my attention. Right, bringing it back and, and being accepting of that. It's like my mind is going to wander. I'm just going to bring it back. If I beat myself up about my mind wandering, that's only going to make it worse. So I'll just... All I have right now is another fresh moment to put my eyes back on the page. And, I'll, and if I wander, I wander, and now all I have is another fresh moment. to. And I guess eyes. another aspect of being mindful here is also being mindful of the fact that, oh, I didn't eat since yesterday. <laughs> right, right. You know, and I'm starving. Or, yeah, and, oh, I'm mindful of the fact that I'm exhausted. So having some respect for your, being checking in with your right, body right. is another aspect that mindful. Instead of whipping yourself to just do more. Right. 
Right, and taking good care of ourselves. And it's also helpful in terms of I'll often recommend people just do a short kind of practice, whether it's breathing or whether it's just taking a moment to maybe take out a pen and a piece of paper and before you start working, just writing down five sounds that you hear or writing down five sensations that you can feel in the body and then starting in on the work. And what that does is it, is it settles our mind, it brings it onto a certain task and it gets us really out of our head um, and then can kind of start to kind of warm up our brains for the focus that we need because often what's hard is that, that, that kind of futzing around and, you know, arranging our papers and wandering around, finding a perfect spot, and, and sort of that initiation of the work is really hard. So one of those just sort of short one-minute, two-minute mindfulness practices, five deep breaths, whatever it might be, before beginning work, and the mind is settled and becomes ready to work and is warmed up to work and think in a, in a flexible and creative way and be able to concentrate more effectively than if you just sort of, you know, run in with your cup of coffee and, you know, scrambling. And yeah. you as you're talking, this sounds exactly the same as talking to someone about their sleep problem. You know, like, I can't fall asleep. I'm watching the clock. You know, it's... <laughs> 3.03, and I'm going to wake up in so many hours. Oh, my God, it's 3.17. I'm going to wake up in so many hours. And the um, catastrophization that occurs right. around that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and instead of just allowing people to relax and focus on the warmth and, you know, the pleasure of the moment or and, and it, disengaging from all of the drama, right. drama right. in that process. And what's going right in that moment? Because usually in the moment, things are going okay. It's in the past that things went badly. It's in the future that we're worried about things going badly. It's in some other place that we're not even located in, that we're worrying about what someone is thinking about us that's going badly. And those are all stories that we're telling ourselves. Usually in the moment, things are okay. So, Chris, this is, this is interesting because these are very simple tasks. We're not talking about you know, getting up at five in the morning, going to a dark cave, you know, <laughs> ringing a bell with a group, you know, and chanting for like three hours. Right. This is, you're saying write five things down, ground yourself. Exactly. exactly. Um, and in the moment, just pay attention to your mind wandering, bring it back. Yep. Nothing dramatic and something which any of us can do at the time. Right. And I think particularly with kids, I mean, there's, there's, there's no way that, you, you know, I or anybody is going to get kids to be sitting on meditation cushions, you know, for hours on end. It's just, it's not going to happen. It's hard enough for any of us who are adults to kind of get that to happen or to help people to do that. So I think the more we can just kind of bring simple and basic awareness and mindful awareness into everything we do, the better. So why did we get, I, felt, I always used to feel a bit intimidated by the whole mindfulness thing um, because it felt like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. You know, you quote and talk and Thich Nhat Hanh is on the back of your book um, recommending your book and that's a pretty big endorsement. That's a good one to have there. Um, and um, his shtick is um, that, you know, you can be mindful in every aspect of your life. Walking, right. driving, eating. Doing the dishes. Doing the dishes. Yeah, whatever. And that's kind of what you're talking about. Bring right. your focus back and play, be attentive to the present moment in whatever you're doing. Right, right. And we can practice that by sitting on a meditation cushion and practice being in the present moment for an hour, or we can practice that in shorter ways as well, because a child is going to have a child-sized attention span, and that's 
that's the best we can hope for. And our culture is, in general, going towards shorter attention spans. So finding ways to kind of really integrate um, some short mindful awareness and kind of meditative, you know, meditatively doing all of these things that we do in our daily lives. All right, give me one more that you would use with a college student um, before um, when they're stressed out and con- having difficulty concentrating. Stressed out, I'll often, um, often recommend diaphragmatic breathing. Um, really helpful, but I think my favorite is counting to sounds. I, I suggested breathing once to kids, and they said, Dr. Willard, breathing is played out. So I suggested <laughs> some other kinds of activities, like just as, as you walk down the street, as many sounds as you can, um, or noticing as many things that are the color, you know, it might be as you can as you walk down the street and, and, and narrowing your focus. So. Paying attention and your focus. Experience. Right. All right. Time for a break. Great. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, it's Mark Green, uh, Medical Director at Westbridge, with Chris Willard. Um, Chris's new book is Child's Mind, Mindfulness Practices, 
to help our, our children be more focused, calm, and relaxed. Um, but um, by Parallax Press. So, Chris, you um, were talking to me about some concentration difficulties with or attentional issues. And I know there's tons of mindfulness work with more severe impulse control issues mm-hmm. like self-cutting mm-hmm. um, and um, some with addictions, um, increasing amount in mindfulness-based yeah. relapse prevention treatment. Um, however, I don't want to talk about those. Um, <laughs> I'm interested in talking about, um, I and mean, you can if you do a lot of that stuff. Um, do you do much of that? Sort of work? Yeah, I, uh, a lot of my early work was in was in addiction um, and addiction recovery work, and and I just feel like it goes so much with um, sort of any kind of impulse control and watching what comes up when we can't tolerate a feeling, and and what do we you know as as human beings um, you know we all look for some kind of distraction um, to get away from whatever's unpleasant, and for people who suffer with addiction um, or any kind of compulsive behavior, whether it's you know cutting, stealing, sex, gambling. Um, you know, or even aggressive impulses. Um, you know, it's 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 getting them out of you know an uncomfortable feeling, and they all work. Um, is what the the brain science shows is they they get people out of that feeling. But of course, with addictions, there's these you know significant consequences in terms of health, in terms of you know finances, in terms of you know getting people very worried, in terms of you know you know higher high risk behaviors that go along with it. And they work, and then because you're pushing. Saying I'm not going to think of the pink elephant and really working hard not to have that feeling right. or thought it comes right. back with a vengeance. Right, exactly, exactly. And then, then kind of people revisit that behavior, um, but then it, eventually it does stop working, and hopefully that's where people can start recovery, um, sort of stops working or the consequences become too great. So, um, yeah, that, but I was interested in how you would work with um, younger kids. Mm-hmm. So... Let's go a, a bit younger to, say, teenagers. And mm-hmm. teenagers are just, um, you know, people are being a drag if they're telling them <laughs> things. You know? right. and they, but on the other hand, they can be um, very direct um, with you and um, really respect candor yeah. in a way which, um, yeah. So, so what special challenges do you find, or do, do you not particularly find special challenges in working with teenagers, um, and um, what what kind of issues have you tended to really use mindfulness techniques for and how? It's, it's, it's a lot of those kind of impulse control behaviors. I mean, we know that kids, um, adolescents even, uh, their frontal lobes aren't fully developed, so their executive functioning is not what it is for adults, and their impulse control is just not what it is that you know we we as adults have um, starting in our early twenties is when that the brain really kind of finishes its main development there. Um, and and what we see with kids and mental health is that they act out what's going on. They they act out their anxiety and their depression. So they they do that with stuff like cutting. They do that with stuff like you know, punching the wall and breaking stuff and getting in fights and doing all these things that really set, you know, parents into a tizzy worrying and school systems into a tizzy worrying. Um, and I, I, so that's where I see also where, where mindfulness can be helpful. And a lot of things, of course, you know, can be helpful. But I, I feel like what mindfulness does is it hopefully allows for a space between the kind of the, the thought and the action. Um, and like I was saying about sort of addictive behaviors, 
kids do these things because because they work. They don't just do it to, to make us adults feel crazy. Um, and so acknowledging that, I think, like you said, with candor, saying, like, look, I know that, you know, punching the wall feels good, but it's got consequences the next day. And I know that mindfulness is, you know, not nearly as effective, but it doesn't have the consequences the next day. And so I'll just invite kids to kind of try exploring, you know, like, why don't you take, you know, when you, when you feel like punching the wall or when you feel like cutting or whatever it is that the kid does, you know, just, just take a minute and, and then choose to do that if you have to choose to do that. But I, but I want you to choose that behavior, not have that behavior choose you. And I think mindfulness can kind of create and start to really build that space um, between the thought and the impulsive action. And, of course, you know, I mean, safety considerations and all that need to be taken into account. Sure. But, but for so how would, you, how would you get a teenager who – how do you get a teenager interested in this? You know, or what, what – you can't – it's hard to say, well, you know, there's this long tradition of thousands right. of years of mindfulness, right. and it can be very beneficial. I mean, they're not there. Right, right. Kids are, and, and kids are often hesitant, you know. I, mean, I think that's where it goes back to any kind of work with, with kids or with teenagers in particular is, you know, can, can you get them to trust you a little bit, and can you get them to try it a little bit, um, and, and, and figuring out whether you can really, you know, develop an alliance and then start to kind of, do you have favorite? Do you have favorite techniques or or stories um, to get them interested um, and to you know, to to begin to whet their appetite? Um, I'll often, you know, kind of you know take a cue from uh, you know America's great advertisers and and think about you know role models in our culture that maybe do meditation and you know certainly a lot of like singers do some you know grounding practices before they go out and perform or different kinds of athletes. Um, you know, I think referring to, to pop culture is always at our own risk as adults, but um, that can sometimes be helpful. Um, kids find sort of, or, or some kids or teenagers in particular will find the kind of, you know, contradictory sort of uh, nature of Zen and, and koans to be kind of appealing, and um, you can kind of play with that a little bit with them or, you know, just suggest some readings or, or find out what's of interest to them and then try to figure out you know, tying tying their what they're motivated about to uh, to a kind of practice and, and helping them kind of see where it can make a difference for them. Right, so the universals of therapy, you know, like find out what what someone's going to be uh, enjoying, find out right. a little bit about the them, kids enjoying agenda, them. not just the parents' agenda. If right. I start in with the parents' agenda, you know, this is going to help you with your problem behaviors. The kid's going to say, I don't have any problem behaviors. Do you, and so, so do you start off with breathing exercises and relaxing exercises or, you know, um, mindfulness of breath? Um, or do you tend to use different kinds of things with younger teenagers? With, with younger kids, I really like to do all different kinds of things. So more, I think kids have so many different learning styles, and, and we really can engage all those different learning styles. Um, we don't have to just do mindfulness of the breath. As I said, we can do um, thinking about sounds. That's usually kind of my, my go-to is paying attention to sounds. But other kinds of movement activities like, like yoga, like tai chi, um, and we don't even have to call them yoga or tai chi, but just say this is a little stretching exercise or this is maybe a martial arts exercise or this is a you know jedi training exercise um kids kids will start to respond to that um integrating this into arts and crafts 
activities, integrating this into existing games that you may How do you introduce it into arts and crafts activities? Um, I mean, there's so much tactile stuff going on in, in arts and crafts, so kind of um, like mindfully making sculptures, mindfully painting and really paying attention to the way the, the colors look and the colors mix and the integration of the paint on the page. Um, and at the, same, sorry, at the same time as noticing how the paints mix, also note, would you also ask them, or would this be too advanced, to notice that they're disappointed that the paints didn't come out that way or their own judgments about it? Absolutely. I mean, and I think that's, that's really key because we're always a little bit disappointed with things and a little bit excited about everything. So just, like, taking all of that into the experience, like that mm -hmm. this is, you know, this painting task is getting a little frustrating, but can I tolerate it and keep going? Or this is, you know, coming out really well. Am I getting overexcited? And, and really just paying attention to that. And finding that all into the experience mindfully. Right, exactly. And noticing the smells and noticing the sights and noticing the sensations and noticing the emotions that come up when we're doing well or when we are comparing ourselves to the kid sitting next to us and thinking I'm not as good or mm -hmm. I'm better or whatever it is that, you know, each of us do as adults and as kids. Yeah. Um, now, you said something earlier about how nice as an adult it can be to engage with kids um, in this way. It brings, it reawakens some um, aspects of childhood which maybe we don't get in touch with that much. It sounds like you know it gives an opportunity for us to play really with with kids uh, on a different level, uh, more sort of mutually creative level. Um, so with younger, with even younger kids, I mean, how, how young do you go with, uh, with using mindfulness techniques with kids? I think really young. I mean, I, I think, you know, parents, you know, look lovingly into their children's eyes and, and match their breathing with them. And that's a mindful practice that, that parents can do in a way to kind of connect with kids, um, you know, as infants, um, I have a nephew um, who's three years old, and, and, you know, we do a little bit of stuff together. Um, and it, w one of the cases that I had a few years ago, I worked with a kid who was from, he was about seven to about nine, and he was autistic, and he had an IQ that was just unreliably measured, he, you know, couldn't even be measured, it was sort of so low. Um, and so sitting, you know, and meditating was obviously not going to happen, and really a lot of stuff was not going to happen. But at the beginning of every session, we could take a couple breaths, and we would play a board game, and we would roll the dice. And every time we, we rolled the dice, we'd focus on our breaths as we rolled the dice and then, you know, allow them to roll. And we'd remind each other, you know, to take a breath. And we sort of made a rule that if you, you know, if you forget your three breaths, then you, you know, have to pass your turn or the other person, you know, can say it's okay or the other person can remind you. And in that way, we're reminding each other, and, but really kids of any age can practice and, and be mindfully aware in whatever it is that they're doing. So it's not just, in all of those examples that you give, it's helping the kid um, be aware of all their experience. It's also increasing an empathic resonance between you as the therapist or the parents staring into their kid's eyes and breathing in, in time. There's also right. a, a, a sort of resonance attachment sort of piece that you're talking about too here. And that's what I think is so wonderful about mindfulness is it does all of that. It, 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 it's, it's, it's wonderful for us as clinicians, and it's wonderful to, for the kid, and it, and it builds the alliance, and it builds the attunement, um, and it's fun. You can make it fun. Make in a minute. Okay.
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Eco Man and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Eco Man and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk. Network. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart, but I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll free number is 1 866 472 5792. That number again is 1 866 472 5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hello, welcome back to One Hour at a Time. So um, I'm here with Chris Willard, and Chris, before we often run out of time at the end, so okay. why don't we do this at the beginning of the segment? <laughs> so um, Chris's book is Child's Mind, and um, you spell your name W-I-L-L-A-R-D. That's right. Chris, how would people get in touch with you? Um, they can go to my website, which is drchristopherwillard.com D-R-C-H-R-E-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-W-I-L-L-A-R-D Everyone get that? <laughs> Did I talk fast enough? And um, we were Childsmindbook.com Childsmindbook.com mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so um, both of those and on that site you've also got a bunch of links that you thought people would find interesting for things like mindfulness-based stress reduction 
um, and different institutes for further training and right. interest. Right. Okay. Anything else we should mention? Um, yeah, if people are interested, uh, check out my website. I'd recommend, yeah, looking into, you know, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, um, Institute for Meditation and Psychotherapy. There's just growing training in this area for psychotherapists and, and growing training for teachers and other professionals as well. There's a Mindfulness and Education Network, um, the Inner Kids Foundation in, in California, which is Susan Greenland, who's done a lot of work on mindfulness in kids as well. Okay, thanks. And I just want to, you know, it's really eye-opening for me over the past few interviews that I've done with people um, that mindfulness is such a um, easy thing to do all over the place. You don't have to carve out hours and hours and hours each day. I mean, I'm sure it gets better the more you do and, <laughs> right. and do a silent retreat for months, but, yeah. you know, you don't have to. It's going to enhance. So one of the things that you said was that it's really fun Mm-hmm. to do um, with your patients um, and really fun probably just to do if you're a mother and kid together. Right, yeah. Um, and um, I know that to be true from my own practice and from and it's similar in hypnosis work. Mm-hmm. It's immensely powerful and fun to sort of, you get a very deep resonance when you're paying attention to people's body and their breath and their experience and you're helping, you share that directed attention. Right. Um, and uh, it's a really wonderful, playful thing. Um, so um, you, you were saying in the break that something about the benefits that can occur for therapists or parents um, as they practice this with the other person that they're practicing it with. Tell me a bit more. Right. Yeah, there's, there's some great research on, on therapy outcomes just among therapists that, that practice mindfulness and have done the mindfulness-based stress reduction course. I, I think it was a study somewhere in Europe where there's a growing amount of research happening, but in a, in a double-blind study, they had uh, therapists who practice mindfulness meditation had uh, their, their patients had better outcomes than the placebo than the placebo group which is really pretty impressive and I, and I think it speaks to the fact that it can really help us as clinicians as adults be really attuned to the experience the emotional experience of the the people around us and I think that just makes us much better clinicians it certainly makes us better parents um, better teachers better anyone who works with kids or, or works with other people in general well, it goes back to many of the old um, knowns of mm-hmm. psychotherapy, yeah. right? that um, really paying attention to what's happening now in the session um, between us right. you know, and uh, what feelings are coming up within us and what that might mean. Right, exactly. Um, as therapy. Right, and there are different labels for it, yeah. counter-transference, um, working within the transference. Right. Um, working the here and now, um, and it really feels like this pays, um, is another way of looking at or extending our understanding of that process, dropping into ourselves and right. being paying attention to the empathy that we're experiencing. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of what I think is so exciting, and it, and it really does boost our empathy, and that's you know that that held true in the days that meditation was invented, and that's you know part of what it was invented for. Um, Really? For healing. Some, some aspect of empathy? 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of practices that cultivate empathy and compassion in, in the Eastern traditions. Um, and even, you know, in terms of healing traditions, I mean, the, the words meditation and, and medicine actually derive from the same Sanskrit word for inner measure, um, which tells us something about how the two have grown together. And of course, we know, you know, in terms of education, you know, certainly these practices were developed in monasteries, which is, you know, where um, learning took place for thousands of years, both in the East and West. Nice. Um, so, you know, why don't you, um, you know, one of the things that I really liked as well in your book was the um, way that you would introduce really young kids to experiences of mindfulness and meditation. That might just be, um, that might just be, like on the cover of your book, um, sitting in the grass and staring up. But um, you talk about um, looking at clouds and help mm-hmm. helping um, kids sort of feel the power of their mind or shared experience to change things. Do you want to say a little bit about that? I liked it. Yeah. This is actually uh, kind of the first meditation I ever learned was I was oh, that's a kid. Right. Was um, yeah. yeah, my dad taught me this. We were laying on a raft uh, in, a, in a pond that we used to go to when I was a kid and looking up at the sky, and he said, you know, do you want to see a magic trick? And I'm going to make this cloud disappear. And we're looking up at these beautiful, puffy, cumulus clouds, and he just said, keep looking at that cloud, and I'll make it disappear. And sure enough, the cloud disappeared. And then he sort of taught me the, you know, trick, which was essentially just, you know, focusing on the object and just breathing with it and trying to slowly breathe it away um, until it disappeared. And I think it's a wonderful, you know, example of getting in touch with nature. It was this, you know, wonderful kind of father-son experience. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful sunny day. Um, And it tells us about, you know, the nature of impermanence, that, you know, these difficult feelings, they arise, but they do pass. And these clouds, you know, they appear and they disappear and they form and they unform. And one minute they look like a tiger attacking us, and the next minute they look like a, you know, ball of ice cream. And um, we can just watch them sort of slowly changing and slowly eventually disappearing over time. So that helps bring the sense of wonderment. Um, and shared experience, just really allowing the experience to shape, the experience around us to shape our own internal state a bit. Right. But also it goes the other way, that there's some sense of intentionality, let's make the cloud disappear, or when you talk about the pendulum swinging, um, that the power of your mind can do this. And so it's also cultivating this idea that you can... um, What's that cultivating, that sense of... Well, I think it, it cultivates a sense of empowerment for mm-hmm. kids. I think that's one of my favorite things about teaching kids or teaching any of my patients mindfulness practices is it gives them something that they can do that's not someone, you know, saying, here's a pill, go take it, but saying, here's a way that you can help yourself feel better, or if not feel better, here's a way you can learn to tolerate this difficult feeling and not have it lead you you know, into a behavior that gets you in trouble, into a feeling that makes you feel helpless, and into these dark places, but it can be just what it is. Mm. Nice timing. So, um, all right, well, Chris Willard, it's been wonderful to have you as a guest. This is a great book. It's got tons of very practical, easy, and inspiring exercises. I really like reading it. And I also like that you shared a lot of your personal anecdotes and recollections in it. Good. So uh, thanks a lot for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening.
appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.